What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Oasis Podcast. Oasis is the college and young adult ministry at Park West Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. Come hang out with us if you're ever in the area on a Thursday night. We'd love to meet you face to face. If you don't already, make sure you follow us on social media at Oasis PWC to stay updated with everything going on here with the Oasis family. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. Let's jump in. What an honor to be here with you all tonight and to be a part of Oasis. I, I kind of, in a way, already feel part of the family, and uh, to have this opportunity is just kind of icing on the cake. And I know this may seem like a strange way to kind of open up, but I just want to start off first by saying just how thankful I am uh, for the goodness of God and how, how faithful He is. He is so faithful. He's so true to who He says that He is, and He's going to do just as He said He would do. And I know it's, you've probably heard this saying before, I tell my youth this all the time, but if, if all that God ever did for me was send his son to die on the cross, that, that's enough, you know, that's enough, amen? But, but, but he continually, continually shows me blessing after blessing, his favor, his love, his mercy, and his grace, and it far exceeds anything that I could ever begin to try to explain here in just a few moments of an introduction. Um, but uh, talking about blessings, I just want to real quick, again, my name is Dylan. I'm from Inglewood Church of God, really big town, okay, town of 1,500 people, all right? Uh, you can, uh, there's only uh, two uh, traffic lights. You can see both of them at the same time, all right? We have a big food chain restaurant there called Subway, all right? And that's it. That's about, that's about uh, there. But uh, there I, I live with uh, my beautiful wife, Olivia, and my two baby girls. If you don't mind to throw that picture up, I'm definitely going to be that guy to show a picture of my beautiful wife, Olivia, and then my daughter, Evelyn, and Emily, who is always on my shoulders, okay? Um, and I just, I absolutely love them. I'm blessed. She sends uh, her, uh, she, she misses you guys, Caleb and, and Olivia. She wishes she could be here tonight, um, but she loves you guys, and she appreciates this opportunity that we have to be here. Uh, also want to mention Conquer Young Life Ministry in the room. All right, these, these are some awesome guys. If, if you don't know the story, about a few months ago, well now about six months ago, I guess, uh, Conquer, uh, Pastor Cam sitting back there with that fine mustache right there, about six foot five, played for the Raiders. I'm just kidding. He didn't, he didn't play for the Raiders, but awesome man of God leading our, our, our young life. And all of these guys here are just my, my friends. I just, I just love and appreciate them. And and then lastly, um, I'm just thankful for Kingdom Connections and that God has put uh, people like Pastor Caleb and Olivia in, in my life. And we go way back. Um, we, we go way back. But I'm going to say one thing and then I'm going to jump into this. Um, I was like, what is one word that, um, that sums up Pastor Caleb? And like, I, I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but he celebrates with you. And so I'm not going to just say an adjective, but here's, here's what you mean to me, Pastor Caleb. And I've never told you this face to face, so I'm going to tell you in front of everybody. Okay, make it awkward. But um, all throughout the course of my ministry, he's been there. He's seen the ups, he's seen the downs. And sometimes I just call this guy and we just talk. Sometimes we talk about ministry. We talk about what God's going to do at our fall retreats. He comes every year and uh, he just celebrates the wins 
and he's there for you during those moments that are kind of low. And I'm going to tell you, you guys have an absolute incredible leader for Oasis. So you need to show him some love. Love you, bro. So, but yeah, God never ceases to amaze me, to, to teach me, to humble me, or to get my attention. And, and over the past few months, I, I've had to do just a little bit of self-inventory. Okay, just kind of checking where, where my heart is. Now, before y'all get nervous and you're like, okay, who in the world did Pastor Caleb bring uh, to speak here tonight? And he's kind of talking about some of these intimate places here. Uh, I've not been morally compromised here. I'm, I'm, I've not backslidden. As a matter of fact, the last few months have been some of the greatest fruits of ministry that I've ever experienced in my life. Um, and some of the greatest highlights of ministry over the past six months. I've got to go to Istanbul, Turkey and, and, and uh, do evangelism uh, in, in that part of the world. I've, I've got to be a part of Alaska, going to conferences and leading worship conferences and things like that. You know, we've, we've had our youth camps and getting to finish the two weeks up with getting to speak in front of 500 students, such an honor. Like God has been doing incredible things. Like it's been an absolute blessing and honor to be a part of the journey. But I've also learned the hard way that it's very possible and not just, uh, just possible, but likely that in the pursuit of God and the desire for more, even in the midst of trying to do everything you can to serve the kingdom of God and set your heart on the kingdom of God, that it's easy to go from mountaintop to valley. It's easy to go from passion to fatigue, from thriving to just trying to survive, anybody relate with me there? Like just trying to survive, trying to get through life or being full to being empty. And I just wanna tell you tonight, like it's hard to pour from an empty cup. I, I don't care where you are in your life right now, whatever the context of your life, if you're serving in ministry or you're trying to pursue this relationship with God, I don't care who you are. It is hard to pour from an empty cup. It's hard to keep serving when you feel like you have nothing left to give. And I'm just going to be real with you guys tonight. I'm being vulnerable, being real that four months ago, I found myself in that very place. Found myself in this place. And, you know, it's not supposed to happen like that, Pastor Caleb. It's, you know, you know I, I'm supposed to, as a pastor, I'm supposed to have myself together, right? I'm, I'm supposed to keep myself composed, you know, a smile on Sunday, my best attitude on Wednesday, ready to give my time, my effort, and my energy for the kingdom. But even in a season where God was, was moving, I felt more isolated, more fatigued, and 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 more discouraged than I had been in years. How? How do, how do you find yourself in that place when you have moments like we just did in the presence of God and then you leave and it just feels dry or it feels like, man, I'm, I'm the only one in this thing. I, I feel like I'm just so alone and you just encountered community. How does that happen? And I've learned the hard way that I had placed ministry before intimacy. I had placed intimacy at a low place where intimacy should always come before a place of ministry. What am, I, what am I saying? I had become so consumed by doing ministry, fulfilling expectations, preparing sermons, that I had stopped prioritizing my intimacy time with God. I would prepare sermon after sermon for other people, but I neglected the personal time I needed with the Father. 
I'd filled my schedule with serving others, being involved in ministry, saying yes to everyone else, anything else, but saying no to God in the secret place. Not because I didn't want more of God, but because my thought process was this, well, I'm just busy in the trenches. I've got a lot going on. I'm, I'm doing good things for the kingdom of God, so it's okay. But here's the problem with busyness. Busyness does not equal fruit all of the time. Sometimes you can be just too busy. And in my process of this, I'm thinking, you know, surely that's enough, God. Surely me just serving in ministry and doing this and, you know, I get enough preparation with, with, you know, doing my sermons, getting prepared for others. That should be enough. I can go on in the strength that you have for me, God. I, I can do this thing. I'm making sacrifices. It's for the kingdom. But let me tell you this tonight. God cares more about the status of your heart than your status in the eyes of others. He cares more about your availability than he does your ability. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants your heart first and foremost before anything else. And I've learned that the Bible is this exposition of the heart and the story of God's zeal. His plan is constantly to reclaim your heart. When it's strayed, when it's not where it needs to be, when, when it's not focused on the intimacy that it needs to be, on the Father, his goal is to reclaim your heart. So tonight, if you've come in here and you're feeling like that, I need you to know this. You need to hear that he is here to reclaim that heart. It was about the end of July when I took our, our June, when I took our youth group to Forward Conference down in Atlanta, Georgia. Absolutely phenomenal conference. And we've seen God do some incredible things in our group. But it was about this time that I was spending some time in prayer before we were about to do group. We we're about to have a breakout session with our youth ministry. And we were going to recap our services. And as I was preparing, I came across this story of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. And it was here where God spoke very loud and clear. He got my attention, kind of put me back in line where I needed to be. And that's just where I want to share with you tonight. I just want to share kind of what God's been speaking to me in this season. So if you will, go ahead and turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. 19, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. Amen. I love having the Bible on our phones. It just makes it that much easier, all right? That's awesome. So just some context here, but we find Elijah, and that's kind of the focal point character of, of our message tonight. But we find Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18 experiencing the promises of God. And he's been toe-to-toe -to -toe with the prophets of Baal, uh, and he's praying for fire to fall. And God answers by fire and he consumes this burnt sacrifice. And, and then Elijah, he's, he's prayed for rain. And then we actually see this unfold. We see in, in, uh, when Elijah had told Ahab in verse 41, he says, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the abundance of rain. There was promise on the horizon. That's the kind of thing that gets you excited, the promises of God. And so we then see towards the end of chapter 18 that the rain didn't fall the first time or the second time or the third time. But on the seventh time, we see the promise is fulfilled and the servant of Elijah sees a cloud the size of a man's hand. It didn't seem like a whole lot maybe to others. It didn't maybe seem like it was a whole lot of potential for other people. But God sees a lot where you see a little. 
If you would just trust in the process and just trust in the promise that he has for your life, I'm telling you where, where others may see a little, if you will hold on to the promises that God has for your life, he will bring them into fruition. And so again, Elijah, the servant, he sees, the servant of Elijah, he sees this, this cloud signifying that this drought has ended. And I love this story. It's the kind of stories that it gets you the goosebumps. You get excited about this kind of stuff. It's the kind of story that makes you want to take a lap around the church, you know, good times. But in 1 Kings chapter 19, we see a completely different side of Elijah. Elijah is no longer on the mountaintop. He's not standing boldly anymore. As a matter of fact, we actually find him under what's called a juniper tree. And he's lost his fight and he's lost his will. He's discouraged, depressed, weary, and even suicidal. How? How does this happen to a man of God like Elijah? Let's take a moment and read some of the text. First Kings 19 verse one, it says this, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat, sat under a broom tree or a juniper tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Now, to give you some context here of what's taking place, Elijah has been under the strain of ministry for three years. Okay, not just the fact that there is a drought, but he has been under ministry strain for three years. He's been running as a fugitive on, on the smallest amounts of food, smallest bits of clothing and shelter, all while hoping for revival. And what we can see is he probably believed that if the nation saw this great miracle from God, like fire falling down from heaven, that they would give up their idolatry, that they would turn to God and experience this a revival. But that doesn't happen because here comes Ahab and Jezebel disrupting all of the plans. And now all of his efforts, all of the prayers that he, that he made, all of that stuff seems worthless, futile, and pointless. His expectation was that opposition would stop. But here's the thing about expectation. I believe all of us in here would agree that expectation is a good thing, right? We would want to come in here and have expectation that God is going to move on our heart. That God wants to do something in our life. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's where expectation can get you in trouble. Because expectation without communication equals frustration. Expectation without communication equals frustration. Let me show you how. We see that Jezebel immediately sent Elijah death threats and, and vows that instead of Baal worship being defeated, she was going to fight all the more. She was going to do everything she could do to destroy Elijah. And the Bible says that Elijah, when he, when he saw this, when he heard this, he got up and ran when he should have knelt down and prayed. And, and, and here's the thing. He's a man of God. He knows how to get before the presence of God. He's never had a problem communicating with God, but now he does. It's because instead of seeking God, which should have been his first response, he goes on the run. He flees. 
And my question for us tonight is how do we choose to respond in moments of adversity when things aren't working the way that we want them to work, when we don't see the promise coming into fruition and the season does feel dry and, and life feels like, man, where are you at, God? Why, you know, I thought, I thought this was going to happen and now, now I'm here. How do you choose to respond? Because how you respond, it matters. So this is his first problem. But his second problem is that he leaves his servant in Beersheba. Now, this might not seem like that significant of an issue until you realize the significance of Beersheba. Because this is the same place that we read about in Genesis chapter 26 in verses 23 through 24, where the Lord is speaking to Isaac. And this is what it says. Then Isaac went up from there to Beersheba and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear for I am with you. Do you see what's taking place here? I mean, Elijah knows the word of God. He would have known this very well. He would have known very well the story of Isaac, but Elijah is not thinking clearly. He's not thinking rationally. And we're gonna get to that in a moment. But for now, he's allowing fear to determine the direction and the course of his life, not the voice of God. And as a result, he begins making rash decisions. I mean, how many rash decisions have we made in the heat of the moment, right? And it's, instead of seeking the face of the Father, and instead of having that intimate moment to say, God, I need you, instead, we make a rash decision and we try handling it on our own. We listen to all the other voices, any other voice except the voice of God. Tonight, please hear me, the, the voice that we listen to determines the, the future that we experience. We have to know the voice of our Father, but that doesn't happen if we're not spending time with Him. So the Bible says that He goes to this place and he leaves His servant in Beersheba. And what He's done as a result of this is He has separated Himself from relationship and He travels into the wilderness alone. I mean, what in the world? I mean, this servant has been faithful to Elijah. He's been there for Elijah. He's had Elijah's back. He didn't abandon Elijah. Elijah abandoned him. When fear, confusion, depression, despair invade your life, withdrawing unto your own is not the answer. Trying to handle this thing called life on your own, it is not the answer. Now, some of you might say, well, Jesus withdrew into the wilderness, but he withdrew into the presence of God. He knew where to go. He knew who his source was. We can't withdraw into ourselves because depression has a way of feeding on loneliness. And that is why every person needs an accountability. Every person needs someone that they can have around them, someone that they can gather around. That is why you need Oasis. That is why Conquer needs Conquer. You need community. You need connection because it's in community and connection. I believe that breakthrough happens organically, naturally, because of the supernatural work and the power of God. We need it in our life, whether you feel like it or not. I'm telling you, if there's nights where you're like, man, I don't want to go tonight. I'm tired. I'm worn out. That's the night you need to go. It's community that will make the difference in your life. So here we see Elijah and, and, and he's alone and he feels like he's the only person left serving the Lord. And he would actually say this later in verse 14. He would say, the Israelites have put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one. It's crazy what the enemy will try to convince you when you're down and out, right? Because we know this isn't true. Because in chapter 18, we know that there are a hundred prophets in training. There's people ready to back Elijah. But because he's not thinking rationally and he's in this place of despair, he's believing lies of the enemy. 
So what's the result? He's on the run for his life. He's driven by fear. And now in exhaustion, he collapses underneath the juniper tree. He wanted to give up and quit the fight, throw in the towel. This event has shaken him to his core. It's caught him by surprise, but how? How does this happen to a man of God? I mean, this man of God has literally defeated 450 prophets of Baal with the sword, but a single woman has him on the run. A single woman has him on the run. Now, you need to understand here that this isn't just any ordinary woman. See, Jezebel is not a woman of God. She's this wicked queen of Ahab that has a reputation for murder, iniquity, and, and, and sexual perversion. She's a prophet killer, and she does not want to see the promises of God succeed. And sadly today, she has men and women on the run God. That's why this is significant, because we can give Elijah a hard time, but we see a generation, if they're not careful, they're going to give in to the lies of the enemy. They're going to get confused in who they are in Christ, and they're going to run. And the last thing they need to do is run from the church doors. They need to run into places like this where they can experience life change. But how, again, how does this happen to a man of God like Elijah? I wonder if it was because Elijah's faith wasn't placed upon God, but about, upon his knowledge of God. Now, what am I saying? I wonder if Elijah had a certain expectation of what God would do based off his own knowledge. And, and when God didn't act the way that he thought he ought to act, his faith hit rock bottom. You may have a perception of how you think God should handle your situation, but he knows all things. He knows exactly what he's doing in your life. And so he's obviously fearing and uh, fleeing in fear of his life. And what does fear indicate? Fear indicates we have ceased trusting in God and we have started trusting in ourselves. Fear reveals where we trust God the least. This mighty man of great faith and courage, this rugged, heroic prophet had stopped his trust in a living God and begun to trust in his own way. And the result, fear has gripped his heart and he has fled in, into the des desert. Now, please understand, when I'm, I, when I'm trying to deliver this message to you tonight, it's not just about fear because fear breeds loneliness. And when you feel alone, that is when despair, weariness, depression will become too much for you. It becomes overwhelming and too much to handle in your life. Sure, uh, Elijah is fearful, but he's a man of God who desired to see the will of God come into fruition. He wanted to see lives changed, but now it seems that his world is falling down around him. I believe much like Elijah that there are some of you here tonight who would say, you know what, I'm in that place. I, I'm, I'm just that close to throwing in the towel to call it quits, to give up on the fight. Maybe because stress and pressure have overwhelmed you. Maybe because you're the only Christian in, in your realm of influence or in your family and you're trying to share the gospel. Maybe it's your efforts to win others or change the environment about you. And it's just, it's becoming exhausting and, and it's just fruitless and it's leaving you worn down. Maybe your prayers feel unanswered. You bring these prayer requests before God time and time again. It's starting to cause you to lose faith and feel like giving up. I've come to tell you tonight that God sees you. God sees you. That work that he began in your life, he'll be faithful to finish it. Those tears that you have cried in the secret place, they're not wasted. I promise you, they're invested. If you know who to turn to, if you know who to give your attention to.
This season that you feel where maybe you are broken and, and crushed in spirit, I want to remind you of scripture, and it's found in Psalm 134, 18, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. That means in your loneliness place, you're not lonely. You're not on your own. You're not doing this thing on your own. He is there. He is an ever-present help in time of need. He's got his eyes on you. He has never left you or forsaken you. Now, I want us to notice that Elijah finally prays, and, and, and it's not the prayer that you would expect from a man of God. I mean, he says, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life. I am no better than my father's. Now, I'd be willing to work with Elijah on this. I'd be willing to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. The only problem is it makes no sense. Makes no sense. Why would a man run in fear of being killed, successfully escape death, and then turn around and ask for death? It, it makes no sense. Unless, and here's my deep theological explanation for this, the dude was hungry. The guy's hungry. He's starving. He's wanting something. He's wanting something more. There's a person who's near and dear to my, li my, uh, to my life, and you guys can't share this with her because I know I've already said this before and she'll, she'll get mad, but there's a person near and dear to my, my, my heart, and uh, she's, she's my beautiful wife. And listen, I have mastered the art of, of knowing when this wonderful human being, this God-fearing woman of God, uh, sweetest woman in the world is hungry, okay? I, I, I just, I get a hunch, I've got a feeling uh, that not everything's gonna be okay. And <laughs> because she starts to not act like that same sweet and innocent person, I can tell that maybe something's off, okay? Listen, boys, if, if, she, if she's feeling a little off, take her to Taco Bell, okay? Feed her, okay? No, but listen, I, I know that something is off, that there's something that just isn't right. So I know I better get her to somewhere, get her something that's gonna sustain her, something that is, that is going to strengthen her. But see, Elijah, his perspective is off and he's wishing to die. He says, listen, I've had enough. I can't do this thing anymore. And it's all because he's found his shade under the tree instead of his refuge under God Almighty. His expectations weren't met. And instead of kneeling and praying and positioning himself to receive from God, he got up and he fled. He's trying to handle things in his own strength and in his own way. But I promise you this, the moment that you try to handle your fear, your despair, your weariness on your own strength, you are going to fall. You're going to fall. Your perspective is going to be off. You're going to start making rash decisions and you're not going to be able to think clearly. You, you think you've got it taken care of right now, that, that it's all in the bag. You've got this thing called life, but eventually you're going to run out of steam. You're going to get exhausted because the moment things don't line up the way that, that, that you expect, the moment that God doesn't meet your expectation, it's going to be too late. A and you're going to realize quickly that many are the plans that man has, but it is the Lord's plans that prevail. And you're going to be less spiritually hungry. Now, spiritual hunger is not always a bad thing. It could be a very good thing if you know who to turn to. Psalm 34.10 says it this way, even strong young lions go without and get hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Tonight, if you, if you say, you know what, I've had enough, like Elijah, I, you know, I, I've had enough, you can't do this thing anymore, you're ready to throw in the towel, you need to go to the God who is more than enough. 
If you will cast your burden upon the Lord, He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Moved to what? Moved to despair, to weariness, to fear. Those who make God their refuge and their strength, He is an ever-present help in time of need. The problem again is that we try to handle it in our own knowledge and in our own way. But I'm telling someone tonight that it is time for you to get out from under the juniper tree. It's time to get out from under the juniper tree and get under the refuge of God Almighty. He will, he will sustain you. He will strengthen you. He will set your feet on solid ground. More than ever, what the church needs, what the world needs, is someone that is strong and movable, not giving the pressure, but standing firm in who they are in Christ. And what better of a way to show a world that is hurting than to show them a Christ who is Savior, who is greater than anything that they might face. But you know, I'm, I'm weary, I just can't do this thing anymore. I'm, I'm tired of witnessing to this person and not, and not seeing fruit. I got excited, Pastor Caleb, when you were sharing earlier about harvest. Because Galatians 6, 9 says, do not become weary in your well-doing, for in due time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. If you do not give up, the harvest is on its way. I'm not saying that it's going to be easy, but it's certainly going to be worth it. I love that the Lord provided for Elijah, but once again, the Lord didn't meet Elijah's expectation. Elijah was praying for death, but the Lord provided something that makes everything better, cake, amen? Just makes everything in the world that much better, and not just any kind of cake, but angel food cake. And so let's just continue this on real quick. Verse five, then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said, arise, and eat. And I love this. I love this so much because in 1 Kings 18, if you go back and read it, and I love this, Ezekiel tells Ahab to go up and eat. So sometimes we need to take our own advice. We get really good at telling everybody else what they need to do and whatever. Listen, sometimes we need to take our own advice and seek the Lord and seek his counsel. Anyway, Verse six, then he looked and there, his head was a, uh, there near his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water, praise God. So he ate and drank and lay down again, just shows you what a little nap and some cake will do. And then verse seven, and the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. The journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of the food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Oreb, the mountain of God. And I've come to tell you, some of you here that have come in here tonight, and you're like, just, you know, you feel like you're at death's door. You feel like you just can't do this any, anymore. God has a plan. God has a plan, and he's saying, listen, that plan is great, but that journey is too great for you. So I want us to notice here that the angel not only touched Eliza, but he gave him something to eat and, and something to drink. And there are so many people that are, that are willing to receive the touch of God in a bad situation, but they don't want to go any further. God has so much more because the Holy Spirit is more than just your comforter. He is your helper. You have to let him help you. But we see Elijah, he eats and he drinks and... The angel gives him, and then he just lays back down. And the angel comes back around a second time, touches him again, and says, you know, listen, Elijah, that's not what I had in mind. And I love that God was willing to give Elijah a second chance here and show him. 
Because Elijah had to do something. There had to be a response. Remember what I said earlier? The way that we respond matters. He couldn't just wallow in self-pity. It's okay to have your 24 hours, okay? It's all right to find yourself in a situation and be like, oh, woe is me. But then there has to come a moment to say, you know what? I know who my Lord is and I know what he can do for me. And so we have to take responsibility. And I'm reminded of Peter when he was going through the same thing in prison in Acts chapter 12, verse 7. He says, and behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shone in the prison and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up saying, arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. If the worship team will go ahead and make their way up here. What is the message the angel gave to Peter? Get up! Some of you are just waiting for the change. You're waiting for the limitations, the bad situations just to come off of your life. But notice in Peter's case that this didn't happen until he got up. Then the chains fell off. The chains didn't fall off and then he got up. Here's why that's so important. Outcome is God's responsibility, but obedience is ours. We have to walk in obedience and trust that he has a plan. And so we, we continue on with the story and we see that the angel brought the food and water to Elijah, but notice where he placed it. And I love it because God is strategic. He knows exactly what he's doing in your life. He, he positions things and ordains things and anoints things that need to be. And he knows exactly what he's doing. And he does the same exact, exact thing with Elijah here. He didn't put the, the food at his, at his feet. Instead, he put it where? At his head. What does it mean? It means we've got to get this right, this head, this head right before we'll get our walk right. We've got to get our heart right before we can ever get out there and try to believe that, hey, I can walk this thing out and do this thing. You know why? Because the journey's too great for you. You can't handle it on your own strength. You gotta trust in him. And so we see that the angel agreed with Elijah, this, this journey is too great for you. And Elijah says, I can't do it, God. I can't take it anymore. I, I, I just can't. And a lot of us, that's our same response. You know, I just can't do this thing anymore. And you know what? That's not necessarily the, the wrong response. The heart isn't right, but it's not necessarily the wrong response because you can't do this thing on your own. You can't do it on your own strength. I mean, remember where we started here? I, I would argue that one of the reasons Elijah is under the juniper tree is because he failed to communicate with the word, with God himself. And so what is God doing? He's teaching Elijah a lesson here. He was strengthening Elijah, but why? Because there was purpose on the other side. There was more to come. There was greater. Elijah still had 40 days to go. Where was he going? In reality, Elijah was going to Oreb, the, the mountain of God, which means desert. And so some of you, you may come in here and you're like expecting revival, but maybe sometimes God's gonna bring you through a desert first. Because maybe the desert's the only place that he can talk to you to. Maybe the desert is a place of isolation for a reason. Because you've got so much busyness in your life and you've got so much going on that he needs to strip some things away from you so that way you can get focused, that you can get in the right place. The desert is where a conversation with God takes place. God was strengthening Elijah and motivating Elijah just to get him to a place where he could talk to him. God wants to talk to you. 
God wants to reconnect with you. He wants an authentic, intimate relationship with you. You can go there willingly, but one way or another, you're gonna find yourself there. But some of the greatest things God will do in your life is not even when you're on the top of the mountain, when everything's blessed, but some of the greatest things that God will do for you is if you will learn to stand in the middle of the famine and keep sowing the the Word of God into your life, the truth of the Word of God into your life until you see breakthrough. He found Lazarus on the fourth day when he was smelling of decay. He found David on the backside of a desert. Uh, God works in unusual places, surprising places. He found Moses in the desert, found Job in the trial. He found the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. He found Daniel in the lion's den. He found Jeremiah in a pit, Peter in a prison, and Paul in a storm. And God said, I use surprising places to bring about my glory. And if he's, got, if he's got a plan for you, and he does, and he's got a journey for you that's just too strong for you, too much for you to handle, which he does, you need to learn to find refuge under him instead of the juniper tree. And so in closing, I want to say, I hope this wasn't too long, Pastor Caleb. Verse nine is what rocked me to the core. Remember when I was talking to you guys earlier and I was sharing about what God was revealing to me. This rocked me to the core and it was a question. Let's see if we can find it. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And so he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts. I've been very busy. I've been doing everything I'm supposed to do, Lord. I've been, in, I've been to church on Sundays. I've been to church on Wednesdays. I've been at, I've been at Oasis on Thursdays. I've, I've been fasting. I've been praying. I've been doing all the spiritual things, God. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone and left. There he is still talking, not being rational. And they seek to, to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. This is so significant. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the, uh, the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it, something's changing. Something's beginning to change. He's starting to hear the voice of God. He knows that something needs to change, that he wrapped his face in his mantle. He, 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 he put purpose where it needed to be. He, he placed it right there and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? This was not a question of location. God knew exactly where Elijah was. This was a question of where his heart was. So instead of what are you doing here, Elijah? Where is your heart, Elijah? Why are you still in this cave? There is purpose on the other side. He was supposed to go and anoint. He was supposed to go and find the next prophet. He had purpose. He had more that he had to do. But he had to get this right first. And he had to get before the Father. With every head bowed, I, I, I just, I want us to, for just a moment, 
You know what? I'm going to stop talking for about one minute. And I want you to just listen to God for a moment. What are you doing here? Where's your heart at? Here we go. One minute. Go. Go ahead. Seek him right now. Please hear me tonight. I know that there are some of you that have come in here tonight and you find yourself just like Elijah. You're worn out, you're tired. Maybe you're not necessarily to the point of throwing in the towel, but you're asking the question, my God, what, what's going on? Why am I in this place? And, and you're expecting a response from God, and I get that, because that's how we've been brought up in the church, like, you know, like, we seek God and we will find Him, amen, amen. But sometimes we think that it, it, it's gotta be this, like, grand entrance, like, Holy Spirit knock down, Pentecostal, like, knock you on your back kind of response, and sometimes God just wants to speak to you in a still, small voice and ask, what are you doing? Why are you here? And, and so I, I want to I, I be courteous of your time. I, I don't, but I also don't want to rush anything. And so here's, here's what I want to do. I just want to open us up in, in a time of prayer and reflection and, and bring ourselves before the Lord and really do Do what we should in this moment and be like David and say, search me, O Lord, and know me. Know every wicked way in me. Know, know where my faults are. Know, you know where I'm at. But then invite him in to do what he needs to do. And, and so I, when I get done praying, this whole room the glory has already fell. And he has a way of bringing his glory out in your life. And how much easier it is that we can just sit under the refuge of God Almighty in this room. So here's what I believe. I believe that there needs to be a response. And so it, it if you find yourself leaning towards that, or if maybe you know you say, "I just need to, I just need to check my my heart. I just need to spend some time with God. I haven't really done that this week." I invite you to do that, do, do this with us. But I want you to find you a place in this room, 
and I want you to seek refuge under God Almighty. As they begin to lead us in worship here in a moment, I just want you to seek refuge under God before we get prepared for the season that God has for us, this incredible harvest. Let's prepare our hearts. Father, we come before you, and God, I thank you that you are already moving on hearts, God. That God, that that is who you are. You are faithful. You see us, God, when no one else does, God. We have never been forsaken. You are here in this moment, and so God, may we ask the question where am I at and let us make the statement search me oh Lord do what you need to do in my life it's in your wonderful name that we pray